Well, thank you for being here this morning. I came with uh, very low expectations as to who would be here. <clears throat> in fact, uh, given the weather, etc. Um, in fact, someone said, uh, you know, maybe, maybe just uh, preach something else, uh, save this one up. Um, but I actually thought to myself, if people braved and, and were willing to brave the weather and come out, then uh, I need to put in extra effort this morning. And so hopefully that will show, and it will be a blessing to us this morning. I also wanted to say, um, Paul kind of stole my thunder because I said to him on the phone, what a joy to minister together with a brother who's so dear to me. And um, I'm kind of offended at the word mentor, to be frank, because when we get together, I feel like I'm being mentored. So bless you, brother. Well, as I'm sure that we're all aware, in the film industry, there's such a thing as multiple takes. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure that we've seen the examples of it. The person comes out with the board, and they snap the little hinge shut on the top, and they say, take one. And all the actors begin to perform their actions, and then someone makes a mistake. And so we stop, and we gather back, and we fix everything up, and they, the guy comes out again, snap, take two. And someone messes up again and snap, take three, take four, take five, take six, till someone eventually gets fired. <laughs> the ability to retake within the film industry is important for quality. And Genesis 9, 18 to 29 is in fact a retake. It's a revisiting, it's a returning to Genesis 1 to 4. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you look at the passages closely, you see that in both passages, there are incidences of the world emerging out of watery chaos. Both begin with representative humans, Adam and Noah, standing with God. Both these men rule over the world and, most importantly, care for the animals. Both men have the Lord say to them, verbatim, be fruitful and multiply. So they're not simply to care for the animals around them, but they are to care for the ongoing generations of humanity. Both of them not only care for animals, but also are men of the soil and tend a garden. And the pattern of sin for both of them is exactly the same in that one eats from something, a forbidden tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, and plunges the world into sin and generations that follow. And one drinks too much of the place that they're living. And there is generational sin comes in there. Now the result of sin for both of them is shameful nakedness. And both of them have their nakedness covered by somebody else in a move that's very important. Both of them, Adam and Noah, have three sons. Two who are good and one who is bad. And in the generations that follow both of them, there is judgment and hope found in their sons. I went through these details in detail for you just to show you how many parallels there are here. You can't miss it. You can't possibly say anything otherwise that this is a retake. This is a take two of Genesis 1 to 4. God started the world out with a man and then a woman and went on from there. And in a similar way, after the destruction of humanity from the flood, he restarted things with a man and his family. This is a retake. This is a take two. Which all of which you would say is very interesting. 
It's more than interesting. It is positively exciting. And why is it exciting? Because it gives us a second bite of a wonderful cherry, a take-two that is wonderfully, wonderfully important for us to today. There's nothing more important than beginnings. Beginnings tell us the way things should be. Right? They give us a blueprint. They give us a framework for the way that things ought to be. If you go on from, from things and you're wandering and wavering all over the place, it's to the blueprint, to the, to the framework that you look back and it gives you orientation. It shows you where you should go, how things ought to be in case things get messed up. If you simply turn back and look at the way things were at the beginning, it gives you a foundation stone. It gives you a reference point that shows you the way things ought to be. And so beginnings are tremendously important. I want to get you really excited now. God loves the world. God created the world good. He loves us. He put us in the world to live in this world, to have life. And he set out a blueprint for the way the world should be, the way life should be. And as you and I live within that framework, you and I experience life. Now, sometimes we see things wrongly, I believe. We think that the world, we focus on the messed upness of the world, and we forget that Romans 8 says, that we are part of the new creation. God created the world once back in the beginning, and he is recreating it. And it says that the world is looking around at you and I jealous. Oh, I wish I could be like them. I tell my students sometimes, the squirrels are jealous of you. The trees are jealous of you. Creation is jealous of us because we are the first fruits of the new creation. So what that means is that as you and I go out into the world, we are not simply going out into a world that has sin in it. We are going out as those who are part of the new creation itself. And we become attractive to those people around about us. We don't look at the world and judge people because if it wasn't for God, we would be in the same position. But we go out and we look at the world, though it's broken, and we, of all people, are able to shine the new createdness of God to the world. And that is what becomes attractive to people. As they see us, they want what we have. They want life itself. Now, the exciting thing is then that this picture of what life should be is given to us in the Bible. But it's not just given to us once. It's given to us twice. Like I said to you already, we get two bites of the cherry. We get two opportunities to see what the framework looks like. In Genesis 1, we have part of the framework of how the world should be. Work. Is work a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Because work was created before sin came into the world. Rest. Is rest a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Because God rested after his work and he told us to rest as well. What is the foundational relationship of society? Marriage. What is the role that we are have, uh, to have towards the world, our attitude to the world? We are to look after it and care for it. Note to self. 
There is a foundation laid for us here in Genesis 1-4. to And as we take hold of that framework and live in light of it, it gives us a framework for living life. But the exciting thing is that in Genesis chapter 9, we get a reboot. We get a restart, and not just of the good things, but also of the root cause of sin. Ah, you weren't expecting me to say that. You thought it was going to be a good story this morning. Well, in fact, the passage that we looked at, Jonathan stole the good part. I get the bad part here in the second half. But it's not the bad part. No, I'm rebuking myself right now here. We get a retake in Genesis chapter 9 and an expansion of things. See, at the beginning of chapter 9, we not only learn that God is a good God and he's committed to humanity, but he actually seals it in blood. He actually determines that he is going to make a covenant, a commitment to humanity. That's the first time the word covenant occurs in the Bible. And so we learn not just the same things that we learn in Genesis 1-4, to but we learn further things from this retake, which is so important for us to understand. We also learn murder was bad, right? Cain kills Abel and Lamech is killing a young guy. We learn that murder is bad. Now, at the beginning of Genesis 9, it's sealed in concrete in no uncertain terms, that murder is bad. So there's a sense in which the good things or some of the good, wholesome frameworks of life, not murdering, God being a God who is utterly committed to us and will never let us down, all of these good stories come out. But we also learn in this retake is a retake of the roots of sin. Happy New Year, right? Again, you're listening thinking... uh, Okay, so we're going, to, we're going to be talking about sin. But sin is an exciting topic to talk about, in fact, especially in this context. Because by looking at the framework of how things went wrong, we are able to make sure that they don't go wrong for us. So it's not only important to understand how things should be, it's, it's important to understand how things can go wrong and how they can turn upside down. Isn't that true? So understanding the root causes of sin is incredibly important for us. Now, in the first take on how things went wrong, sin came into the world because humanity snubbed their nose at God. Said, don't want you to be my God. Don't want you to rule over me. I want to rule over myself. In fact, I want to turn things upside down. I want to be God. And we could preach a sermon on that, and that would be a sermon on Genesis 1, the sermon on how humanity wanted to be God. But in the second take, there is a different slant put on it altogether. This is where it gets really exciting. Forgive me for getting too excited here. The second take is this. Sin is extremism. Sin is extremism. Now, we all know about extremism, don't we? These days, extreme sports, it's all over the place. Hey, let's jump out of an aeroplane with a wingsuit and fly through a one-foot hole in the side of a mountain. That sounds good, a good idea. Hey, let's bounce on a pogo stick on the crest of a hill with a cliff on either side. Hey, let's pour blood and guts into the water in shark-infested waters and let's go swimming. Extreme sports. They're a part of life today. I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating. I'm not sure if the, either of the last two actually exist. I know the wingsuit exists. And for me, as an, as an aging man, 
I won't call myself an older man. We can be very um, careful these days, can't we, as we get older. For me, the extreme sport is deciding to have two donuts rather than one at the men's breakfast, lest I get fat and get cholesterol. But we know about extremes, don't we? We know about this idea of extremes. And sin, we read in this passage, is extremism. Get this. Noah was fulfilling his father's wish when he invented wine. Okay, now that's extreme. (laughs) I'm sure that for some people that will sound like an extreme sport, like I'm going too far. But get this. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 29... Noah's father, Noah's dad, actually says to him, over him, he says, Out of the ground that the Lord cursed, this one shall bring relief from our work. Out of the ground, this one will bring relief from our work and our toil. Well, what did Noah bring out of the ground? Noah brought a grape vineyard and he brought wine. In Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15, we're told that God made grass for cows to eat to feed them. God made oil for us to use as cosmetics. God made bread for us to eat and be nourished. And he gave wine to gladden the heart. So if you're going to undo or try and undo the idea of wine or alcohol being bad, then you have to undo grass for cows, bread for food, for us, uh, etc., etc. You see, it wasn't the wine that was the problem. It was that he took it to excess and got drunk. And that was the thing that kick-started the problem of sin all over again. And it wasn't just here. It wasn't just with the excesses of wine that it became a problem. Noah went to extremes in other regards. Now, you know the story was read to us a second ago by David about what happens. Noah gets drunk. He's lying in his tent. He's naked. And his youngest son comes in and sees him there lying naked. He thinks this is a huge joke. And so he goes outside and he tells his two brothers, you should see what I just saw. Dad's in the tent naked. Now, was that a good thing? Not really. No. Okay, he didn't splash it across the internet. He didn't tell everyone about it. But he did tell his two brothers, and he did shame his father, and it wasn't good. But look at the response of Noah to this. Noah punishes his son. No, Noah doesn't punish his son. Noah pronounces a curse on his son. No. Noah pronounces a curse on his grandson, the son of his son, to show that this is going to be a generational thing. This is going to be a big thing. Now, in those days, it was typical that a younger son would serve his older brothers. That was typical, although you know the Bible turns that upside down over and over again, don't you? Uh, The oldest son will serve the younger son. Think of Jacob and Esau. Think about the story of David when David is, uh, when, when Samuel is picking who is going to be king. And up in front of him is Thor and um, the Incredible Hulk 
and Mr. Universe. And he looks across David's brothers and he says, Surely, Lord, you are going to pick one of these people to be king. And God says, No, I'm not going to pick any of them. I'm going to pick that little boy out in the field who was a shepherd. It was typical in those days to have a younger brother serving older brothers. And it was also typical in those days for someone to pronounce on their deathbed a blessing and cursing and a prediction about their family. Well, guess what? Noah takes his deathbed pronouncement and fast forwards it to this moment. It's almost as if he's saying, this is as bad as death. He fast forwards it to this moment and he pronounces these things upon his sons. And he doesn't just pronounce that his son is going to serve his brothers. He pronounces literally in the Hebrew that he's going to be his, their slave. There's an irony in this, in fact, because later on in the next chapter, you read that the descendants of Ham end up being those who put Israel in slavery. So Noah's wishes, in a sense, get turned upside down, ironically enough. But here's an important question for us to ask. Had Ham committed a sin at this point? This is important. You see, in all of the cultures around about, honoring or receiving honor and glory was the be-all and end-all, was the, the sign of success in Roman culture, in, in Greek culture. But in God's economy, again, in this upside-down way, God takes the lowly and lifts them up. Remember, God himself came and was shamed on a cross. So the, the principle of honor and shame, though it mattered so much in every other culture, means very little to God. But it is the only thing that Noah can be thinking about. He's like Lamech a couple of chapters earlier, where Lamech, to kind of put it in modern terms, has a shopping trolley run into his leg by a boy, pulls out a gun and shoots him dead. Has the boy open his car door onto his car, and so he blows up the car with the guy in it. All right, Lamech says, Cain is avenged sevenfold. Lamech is avenged 77-fold. Noah's acting just like that. Right? His son comes in and sees him naked after he himself has gotten drunk and he pronounces a curse upon his grandson and those who follow. This shows us how sin is extremism. Okay. I've been getting a little bit excited here. But I am excited because let me bring this to a head and tell you this. This is so helpful to you and I because it shows us what we need to look out for. When you get something good, what do you do with it? You are meant to enjoy it. That's what the Lord has called us to do. He has called us to joy. If you look in the New Testament, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. When the Lord gives us something good in life, we are meant to enjoy it. But here's what we do as Christians, like a metronome. We kind of flip to the opposite extreme. We see something good and we think to ourselves, oh boy, 
If I indulge too far in that, that could take me to this extreme. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and cut that out altogether. Now, I'm not trying to have a go at anybody here. I'm not trying to... to but I think that the witness of us as Christians is, is severely detrimented for the world because instead of finding life, instead of living life the way the Lord has made it to be, and people around us saying, man, those people know how to live. I want, I want life like they've got. We're constantly running around afraid that we might go to one extreme and so flip back to the opposite extreme. And so we cut things out of our life in order that we might not risk the danger of falling to an extreme. That's not right. And we need to encourage one another and help one another in this very truth and see that we need to find life. The Holy Spirit is able in our midst and in us personally to give us the power and strength to enjoy something without going to extremes. Do you believe that? Think of wine. No problem. But if you drink too much, it's called drunkenness. Think of food. No problem. But if you eat too much, it's called gluttony, especially if it's ribs. Work is a great thing, isn't it? It was there in the beginning. And it's good for us to work and enjoy work. But if we enjoy it to the extreme of neglecting our family and neglecting other people around us, it's bad. Rest. That's the other extreme of things, isn't it? Rest is a good thing. And we need to know as Christians how to rest and how to telegraph to the world that rest is a blessing from God. And we need to know how to rest. But if you rest too much, it's called laziness. Sexuality is a great thing within the boundaries that God has made, a man and a woman within marriage. But if you take this to an extreme, then it results in horrible sins. Intellect. It's good for us to know and understand things, isn't it? But if our intellect grows to the point where we look down on other people, or we become highly academic and intellectual and non-practical, then it's a disaster. Feelings. Feelings are wonderful, aren't they? But sometimes Christians try to oppress and push down their feelings because they think, no, 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 it's my feelings that drive me astray. Can you see where we're moving here? Caution. I've mentioned this already. Having a cautious approach to life is okay. But if it means that you don't have faith and you're not prepared to be stretched and go places where the Lord would have you to go and trust Him, then it's a disaster. Bravado, no problem with that, right? I was young once as well, and I've got the back injury and the shoulder injury to show from it. It's a good thing, but take it too far, and it ends up being a disaster. Money, God has given it to us for our enjoyment. But if we enjoy it too much, or we think that it's only for my enjoyment rather than allowing it to be a blessing to other people for their enjoyment, then it's also a disaster. When you get something good, the Bible tells us you are to enjoy it. And I think it's an amazing thing that this passage is in fact about wine. 
Because wine is one of those ones, isn't it? You can see why the temperance movement came in, because people saw the extreme and the, the social disaster that was caused from wine. And yet even here, the scriptures say that it is okay and it is good and it is a gift from God, provided it is used within proportions. The challenge that I have for you today is are you balanced within the life that God has made you to live? Because sin is about extremism. It's about flopping to one extreme or the other, and it's missing the middle. But by the power of God's Spirit, you and I are able to live and enjoy and be a witness to those around about us. Look what happens when Noah reacts to the opposite extreme in anger when he's shamed. People get hurt. And we need to take this to heart, particularly as we move to our second point for today. I said earlier that honor and shame were, a matter, were something that mattered much to humanity. In other cultures, it really is the be-all and end-all. You know, you can read about honor and shame cultures. Cultures where what matters most is my honor, is finishing my life and being the best at what I'm doing. Making my mark on the world. This idea of finding your place and being honored mattered so much. And I think, honestly, it matters to us, doesn't it? It's a treadmill that we can get on. Now, get this. The Bible tells us, in fact, that there is one place where honor is appropriate. And, in fact, Noah, for all his excesses, actually illustrates this. This passage is actually not a, a passage about uh, cursing so much as it is a, pa a passage about blessing. The two older brothers walk backwards and cover the shameful nakedness of their father and they get blessed. And what is happening here is a preempting of none other than the Ten Commandments, of commandment number five. So important is this idea that it is embedded within the Ten Commandments. God says that this honor thing, that this seeking after glory or this giving of glory is appropriate in one main place. Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians 6 verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise. What a beautiful word. I had a friend growing up. This kind of shows something. Who your friends are kind of shows something about yourself, right? So he had a weird sense of humor. I have a weird sense of humor. Uh, he used to kind of rub his chin when he'd be thinking about something. He'd say, well, 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 three holes in the ground. <laughs> That's not weird humor. I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> a well, like a literal well. Well, 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 three holes in the ground. Okay. That's, a, that's my dad joke for today. <laughs> but if we think of this in terms of well, 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 that it might go well with you. See, in God's economy, honor is not 
kind of totally discarded. It's put somewhere and it's put in the place of mothers and fathers and children. And what I want to do just very, very briefly is just apply this directly to three different age groups among us today. Let me start by applying it to those of you who are older, whose parents have, par- have passed away. Those of you who are older, your parents have passed away. Get this. Your children should honor you. Yep, it should be the case. They should honor you so that it will go well with them. Now, so often, we want it the other way around, though. They should honor me because I am worthy of honor. And sometimes even parents are so disgusted with the lack of honor from their children that they will be almost happy that they might get what's coming to them. That is the sign of Noah and the excesses of sin. So what should you do if you are older? You should seek the good of your children by being easy to honor. Make it your ambition to be easy to honor because you want your children to be blessed. You want them to honor you. Pray that they would honor you. Because the Bible says that if you honor your parents, you will be blessed. Okay, second group here. The snow's distractingly falling outside for us already. <laughs> the second group here is someone like me, whose parents are still alive, who's a little bit older. Sometimes when we look at this verse, honor your father and mother, we think, oh, that's just for young people. But no. What does it mean to honor your parents? What does it mean for you, if you're like me, to honor your parents? Are you going to cast your parents off into an old folks home when they're not sane? Are you going to leave them all alone? Are you going to pay the sacrifice, on the other hand, of helping them out financially or bringing them in, well, that's up to them. You know, they made their bed. Uh, We're a little estranged. Do you want it to go well with you? This is awesome. Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Are you willing to believe God on this promise and take him at his word? Say, Lord, anything that I expend in honoring my aging parents will be blessed. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Honor your father and mother that it will go well with you, Paul says. Okay, last group of people. And this is the group of people that Paul actually applies it to, young children. That's what he's doing in in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, honor your father and mother that it will go well with you. My wife and I have often said, If youth groups don't teach kids anything else, they should teach them this verse, to memorize this verse. Because this is the verse, you know, that Paul singles out the commandment and says, young children, this is what you need to take to heart. Now, all of us, though children never can fully believe this, were children once. And we all know what it was like to be a teenager and think that our parents were ridiculous and stupid 
Every decision they made was against us and in their interests and not our interests. Someone once said, when I was eight, I thought my father was a god. When I was 18, I thought he was a fool. And then I was amazed at how much he'd learned by the time I was 25. <laughs> Young people, you will not understand the decisions that your parents make. But the Bible says, honor your father and mother that it will go well. Well, we are at the, the end of our story here. The blueprint of life. We've seen how in Genesis 1-4, to there is a blueprint of the beginning that gives us a context of good things that we can go back to, like work and rest and marriage and the caring of the world, but also the danger of sin and how it works for our warning. And we've seen how in the second take, there are other things like covenant and, and against murder, but also the warning about sin in excess. Both in positive and negative ways, we have seen it today. And my plea and appeal to you now as we finish is this, one more time, that we avoid extremes as Christians. The Lord has called us to life. He's called to us to live in this good world and of all people in the world to know what it means to experience life. How do you experience life? By avoiding extremes. By avoiding reacting against the good things completely or by taking them in excess and by honoring your father and mother. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for your promises. The only thing that is standing in the way of us being blessed, according to this passage, is by simply believing what you say. Thank you for the good things that you have given us in life. Thank you for the snow that's falling outside and the delight that that's going to be to us. We pray that you protect people and keep them safe as they come later on to the 10.30 service and have to go home. But we want to thank you and praise you for this good world that you put us in. Help us to suck the life out of life by being thankful for the things that you've given us, by enjoying them in proportion, and by honoring our family, our parents. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.